And I shoot my shot, it's the whole wild way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a book. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you weren't with me shooting in the gym. James Harden with the range of me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I traveled with a cocaine circle. And you could live through anything if magic made it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. What up, my fellow NBA lovers? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. Now, as the season about to start back up again, we're just going to touch base on a few things. The NBA taking out a private loan for about $900 million. We're also going to touch base on CP3, LeBron James, and Paul George all doing sit-downs and reflecting on their careers and where they're at currently. But before I get to all that, I want you guys to check out the description below. Check out my weekly gems. I know you guys got a lot of different hobbies and interests. There's a lot of things you can download straight into your phones. A lot of good information to keep you in the know. So check it out. Now, with the pandemic this year, it kind of exposed a lot of holes within our country when it comes to a lot of financial aspects of it. Now, going from the person that's living check to check, they may be in a financial hole, people that's relying on credit cards, going all the way to major institutions and businesses. As we've seen major chain restaurants only a month during when the pandemic started, already couldn't pay rent. And we've seen some major businesses and chain stores close down. And now we're seeing sort of businesses that have a nice cash flow, according to the paperwork, not really financially struggle, but kind of be so obligated that they cannot stop their business, even if there's a death-defying sickness going around. It's almost like you could be so obligated financially that there's no way in hell you could even take a moment to stop, no matter what. And we've seen this play out this past summer with the NBA bubble, with the league not being in a great position while negotiating a brand new TV deal, using low ratings from the past few years. And at the same time, their TV partners were already struggling before the pandemic for them to just leave them hanging and not play any games for the rest of the year. The league pretty much was obligated to continue on and try to recoup as much money as they can. Now to ensure some financial stability going forward, the league actually took out a $900 million loan from the private placement market. Now the private placement market is just pretty much a bunch of institutional money, AKA could be from major insurance companies, banks, just only a few group of investors are actually allowed to participate in this market in which private companies like the NBA can basically take out loans, which are long-term loans, and it's actually at a fixed interest rate throughout the whole tenure of the loan. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why the hell is the NBA taking out a private loan after dealing with the pandemic for less than half a season while making more than double in TV revenue that the league has ever made before? Because remember, their old TV contracts was for $966 million a year and when they signed that new TV deal in 2017, it was for $2.6 billion every year. So their revenues have jumped almost double. But you also got to keep in mind, with no fans being in the stands, that's 40% of league revenue. And a lot of these small market franchises were already losing money every year. And the league having the luxury tax program in which teams participate and that revenue sharing, it will not apply if there's no fans in the stands. So it kind of leaves the smaller market teams hanging and they kind of got to pay for player salaries while at the same time them relying on fans being in the stands is a crucial part of their business model. 
And if the fans are not there, the owners are not going to want to operate these arenas being open and them paying these players straight out because their pockets are not as deep as other owners, particularly from the larger markets. Now, the NBA entering the private placement market in order to get a loan makes me wonder how are their TV negotiations going right now? Because in the current TV deal that they're under, that's based off the ratings off of LeBron James in the Miami Heat years where the ratings were up. And of course, LeBron was the villain. So there was a lot of interest. But right now, the league is negotiating a brand new TV deal with the ratings from 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. And if you look, there's a steady trend of ratings going down in all those years, year after year. And of course, with their current partner like ESPN already dedicating a lot of money towards college football, especially the SEC. I'm just very curious of how negotiations are going forward right now, because if they were going pretty good, the NBA would normally leverage those negotiations and get a loan at least to cover them for this year and possibly next year, just in case the vaccines don't go out. But once again, with this type of loan, it's pretty much a relationship based type loan because more than likely Whoever gave the NBA this type of loan is most likely a business partner or just some entity that's very interested in making sure that the NBA survives in the long term during this pandemic. Because transactions in the private placement market tend to be more relationship oriented than transactional. Also, the way this was covered throughout the media, particularly the NBA media outlets like ESPN, was pretty vague. They said almost every team gets about a $30 million boost from the league. But in reality, the league took out a loan once again. And it's very important, particularly for the small market teams, to get some sort of revenue this season because a lot of those owners did not want the season to start up without a plan to get fans in the stands or just some sort of plan to get revenue in a sort of in a different way because they really rely on the fans showing up because they don't have those large TV contracts like the Knicks and the Lakers have. And we've seen the Golden State Warriors going out of their way because they spent all that money on that brand new stadium. They're willing to spend $30 million on top to give fans a quick test that will get the results within 15 minutes. That's how desperate some of these franchises are in order to have fans in the stands. And the Warriors are willing to spend that type of money only to get at 50% capacity. And it pretty much shows the importance of fan ticket revenue. We'll see how this plays out. But I thought it was very interesting during the NBA Finals, that YouTube TV collaboration between the league. I believe the NBA may head towards a direction of securing the next deal, possibly with a tech company, maybe with Amazon, Apple TV. There's a lot of options out there. And these tech companies have a lot of cash to burn. So don't be surprised if ESPN or maybe even Turner Sports, who have a long relationship with the NBA, will no longer become the TV partners. And now the NBA will be a league that will be consumed mostly through the digital world. Or who knows, maybe even Twitter or Facebook may make an attempt to secure the NBA viewership. Now CP3 sat down with his former teammate JJ Redick, and they spoke about the 2018 conference finals against the Warriors in which CP didn't play the final game in the series in Game 7. And quiet as kept, Andre Iguodala was the main factor in that series as after the first two games, he went out with an injury, and that's pretty much where that whole series flipped. But the narrative nowadays is that the Houston Rockets were pretty close in beating the Warriors. Had CP3 not went out, they possibly would have won. But it's funny because now CP3 spoke on the importance of Andre Iguodala when he hit his free agency during the Golden State Golden Years. 
that he was trying to recruit him to the Houston Rockets. I'll tell you this, Bubs. I said I was never going to put myself out there like that again, like trying to recruit somebody to come to a team, right? Because I'll just tell you this story real quick. Right after I got uh, traded to Houston, I was in, I was in L.A., and Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni them told me that we had a meeting. Uh, the team had a meeting with Andre Iguodala, right? So I went to the meeting. It was at the montage. I went to the meeting. Team sort of pitched Dre to come to Houston and all this. I won't say what was said in the meeting and all this, but I sort of had this feeling that Dre was gone. Like, leave Golden State. And he was a big piece of them, big piece of their team. Man, when he, like, went back and all this stuff, I was like, oh, I ain't doing this shit again because I'm mad. Now, people got to understand the importance of Andre Iguodala and the Golden State Warriors. He was able to guard anywhere from the point guard of the other team all the way through the small forward or even possibly the power forward, depending on what kind of small ball the team was playing. But the importance of Andre Iguodala was very important to Golden State's success. Now, CP3 was also asked to reflect on that 2018 conference finals. As sometimes you don't know when it's your last chance. And I believe in the matchup in 2019 when Kevin Durant had gone out and the series was tied to a piece. That was CP3's best chance of winning a championship. But he was asked to reflect on the series from the year prior, which I thought was funny, but still. I think I think about it most, Bubs, when I think about like the strides that I've made, you know what I mean? As far as how good my body feels now or whatnot. And I just be like, damn, damn. you know what I mean? Like uh, that was probably one of the hardest things to deal with, you know, especially at the time because I mean, so much stuff changes when you lose like that, right? Like Trev, like T.A., you know, that's my brother. Like, that's my dog. You know what I mean? Like that next year, he wasn't, he wasn't with us. You know what I mean? Everybody, something changed. You know what I mean? For everybody's career. And I know that happens in sports or whatnot. But, uh... And a lot of teams go through that. I mean, some people assume the team will make the same conference finals or the NBA finals the next season. But none of that's a guarantee. I mean, it's possible that that shot by Kawhi Leonard against the Philadelphia 76ers, that's probably the most peak that that team possibly have ever gotten. It could be, historically, if we're looking back through the NBA annals of time, that could be the peak existence of that Philadelphia Joel Embiid Ben Simmons team. The same thing applies here for the Houston Rockets. To me, their peak was not that 2018 conference finals in which they lost game seven. Their peak was in 2019 when they had that opportunity to take down the Golden State Warriors with a very thin bench. Because remember, Kevin Durant, all their cap went towards him. And they already had another guy, Stephen Curry, with a super max contract. So that team's bench was very thin. And for Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson to go after James Harden and CP3 in back-to-back -back games, especially winning the next game on the road, that pretty much closed the books on the Houston Rockets. Tone, um, who's the head athletic trainer, in Houston, uh, after we lost that game seven, I asked him to keep uh, the t-shirt and hat. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Like, we went up 3-2. Well, I don't know if I ever told you. We went up 3-2, so we went to Golden State. And remember, I couldn't play game six. Like, I got nauseous on the court before the jump ball. Like, I seriously got nauseous, and Gene took me back to the bathroom because I had crazy anxiety. 
I never get that type of anxiety when I'm playing. But it's that control thing. Like I was like, how am I gonna be sitting out here and I can't affect this game? And when I was walking out of the locker room to come out on the court, I looked in that little room right there at Golden State. You know what I'm talking about? That was, that was the old arena. But I seen this box or whatnot. And I said, Tom, what's that box? That's the t-shirts and hats that you get. You know, like Western West Conference Championship. Right. So, oh, uh, you know, I was like, damn, I work, I got I wanna put that on. You know what I mean? So man, we lost that game six. We had to lead in that one too, right? Lost that one in game seven. We lost that one. Dark, I was in a dark place for a little while. <laughs> a few weeks, I was I was in a dark place. Now, CP3 once again had a chance the next year. And I'm wondering why that wasn't a follow-up question because that was a situation which is pretty much the roles were, were reversed. Of course, you know, the Rockets lost a major play in those last two games. But Golden State, the same situation happened to them the next year. And the Rockets did not take advantage. All right, so Paul George has sat down with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. And he reflected, you know, about his whole career and some of the mishaps of the last season. You guys check it out. For me, you know, because a, a lot of people, like, don't know, I work out and I train hard every summer, right? This was the first summer I wasn't able to do that because I had, or the, this past summer going into last season, was the first summer that I wasn't able to do that because I had shoulder surgery. Mm -hmm. So I missed a whole summer of training. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I came back, the team was already, you know what I mean, rolling. rolling. They already got, you know what I mean? We didn't start off, we started off okay, but we didn't start off as well as we wanted to. But I feel like they already had a little chemistry going. Um, and so when I came into the mix, I'm, I missed a whole, like, I missed that time in the summer of playing pickup ball, hooping, getting a rhythm, getting a mm -hmm. flow, working on my getting game. The timing right. The timing right. So when I came back into the league and started playing again, it, I just felt off. Like, I didn't feel like, now, I was hoping that Paul George further elaborated on the chemistry issues because looking back now, we were finding out that the Clippers had set a precedent for giving a lot of favoritism towards Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So that kind of created some resentment from some older guys that established a culture already within the Clippers, such as Montrezl Harold, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly. These guys sort of had some bitter resentment towards Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So I wish he further elaborated on that because clearly the chemistry off rip was still wasn't where it needed to be. Part of the team. And then, you know, the way I was being used, I felt like I was, you know, Doc was trying to play me as like a, a Ray Allen or like a JJ Redding, mm -hmm. like all pin downs, all like, I can do it, but that ain't my game, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I need some flow. I need some mixes of, of pick and rolls. I need some post-ups, all that. just different touches. You know what I mean? That sounds like something, especially with the post-ups, a point guard would originally, you know, set you up to be in that position. He would give you that entry pass because a lot of guys nowadays, they're not really making that initial pass into the low post. Last season, we seen in the playoffs against Denver, the Clippers just, they didn't really have a setup, man. A lot of Paul George and Kawhi, you know, on in ISO plays, trying to set themselves up, taking step back jumpers. It just, it just wasn't right. And Lou Williams wasn't that guy to set them up. Um, and so it, it, it was just, you know, that last season was just hard uh, overall. Uh, but I think for this year, you know, we 
everybody's starting off on, on a healthy page. We're starting off on the same page. Um, me and Kawhi going to get some time together working out. Um, I think everything is just not rushed going into this season. Mm -hmm. I felt last year everything was kind of I think rushed. it happened for a reason. I think y'all going to benefit from that because mm -hmm. going through the wars, the wars and the struggles and the ups and downs I went through in the bubble, now y'all coming out to start again with a new coach, with a fresher-minded coach, with a guy who probably y'all probably could communicate more with because mm -hmm. he's more close to our age. And we right. got to, you know what I'm saying, we come from that same era. But at the Steven Jackson is right, right on the money right here. But also the fact that they could establish a new culture the favoritism that they have for their star players in the Clippers, it seemed like, once again, that seemed to be one of the main issues with the rift with the whole squad. I, I think y'all benefit from those those hard times that y'all come together more this year because y'all starting from scratch. Right. Being in training camp together, it makes a big difference, bro. Right. It makes a big difference for a team going together. And once y'all get that, I think y'all be fine. Right. Right. And I just think the understanding, I mean, you got to think for the first time, the Clippers were picked to win a championship. When was the last time you ever heard that? Right. Never. I mean, yeah. so a lot of added pressure on that. And then, like you said, not being able to gain that chemistry from the jump. Mm -hmm. And people can say what they want. Chemistry is the key matters. to winning championships. It, it definitely is. We're seeing a lot of overhype nowadays. You know, once a team looks good on paper, we see analysts going just off the rip saying this team is the top-ranked team to win a championship. And like they said, chemistry is a major, major thing that's going to factor in taking some of these guys over the hump, especially when they hit the hit a wall during the playoffs. Now, it seems like they hit a wall against Denver, and they just didn't have the camaraderie to actually rise above it. And Doc Rivers, you know, especially him, he didn't make a lot of in-game adjustments because he probably didn't really know what adjustments to make because, once again, the Clippers... And their front office established a culture where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they could play in what games they wanted to play in. They could sit out whenever. They had special privileges. Kawhi flying in from San Diego. The whole team would have to wait on him. You know, a lot of these things kind of factor in. Now here, Paul George touches base on Indiana being a very cheap franchise. And he actually exposed the fact that he was trying to get Anthony Davis to come on board the team. And Anthony Davis was down with it. But then when he brought it up to the Indiana Pacers, they're sort of in this rabbit hole of just trying to stay competitive as a franchise, but not really trying to do too much to hit the luxury tax or actually build a team that could be successful in competing for a championship. I ain't really, you know, vibe with a lot of the front office people mm -hmm. after they made the change. Right. Um, and Larry kind of stepped off and stepped away from the team. And Larry Bird stepped away from the team because... He had made statements about them being very stingy on spending money on players. And it kind of put him in a in a rut because he was the team president. And there was a lot of moves he just couldn't make to get the team over a certain hump. Different management took over. Um, and I, at that point, I, I understood, like, the business, the business part the business of it. The business side of it. I remember I you, guys had, you guys had some sort of a falling out on your exit right i remember you said something you would say one day what happened and i think you might have spoke on it but what I, I didn't hear what happened like what happened what was the falling out well it was uh <clears throat> it was so and i took a lot of heat for it but it is what it is um so we do a it's a it's a, a softball game that we do in indy um it's for you know to raise awareness for um cancer um in Indiana and so we we do this every every year and a lot of people like Roy used to be the per, the face of it he got traded away so then I, I took it over um, 
with Robert Mathis. Um, Football player. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we took it over, and I and I joined, you know, part with him to, to kind of keep that game and that tradition going. Um, so we did that. I got interviewed, and they like, you know, PG, do you want to stay here? Like, what's your plans? And at that point, that's where, like, I grew up a Kobe fan. Kobe stayed in L.A. That's all I knew. I, I want to stay with the organization that drafted me and see what what happens there like i want to i want to indy didn't have a championship at, at they, well, they still don't but i wanted to be the first one to bring that to them now in my belief by the time they asked him right here if he wanted to stay they were already considered shopping him around because as you can always see indiana when it comes times to extend their top rookies things start to get funny in the light and i believe right here is where they already started co- to consider shopping around paul george to try to avoid paying him a certain salary because they didn't really believe that they can win. So I, you know, I go through the whole press after the event, say I want to stay here, like this is home, this is this is where I want to win one at. Then that night, and all before we get to that point, a lot of stuff happened. I had, you know, that that season. Uh, let me, I'm backtracking, but that season before we got to the that summer, that season. Uh, I, my name came up in trade talks. So I had, you know, the front office meet me in New Orleans. It was All-Star Weekend in New Orleans. I had the front office meet me in New Orleans, chop it up with them. Like, my agent come down. Like, what is these trade talks? Like, am I am, am I y'all guy or am I not? Like, mm-hmm. let me know. So they like, nah, we not moving you. We not touching you. Like, you know, you our future. Like, you're our, our centerpiece. Like, so they telling me all the good stuff. Literally right before trade deadline, my agent get calls again. Like, yo, PG's on the, like, they saying PG's on the markets. Teams, like. Once again, Indiana, man, there was already shopping him around because there wasn't that much difference in paying Paul George, giving him a max salary contract versus not giving him one. Because the only difference could be them being a fifth seed versus them being a seventh or eighth seed. They believe that they could have been just as competitive because that's pretty much their business model, which you'll see Paul George basically exposed in a few minutes asking about them and they're having conversations so that was like strike two strike three you know what i mean all the other stuff was them moving other pieces around me that was like my brothers right. and they just moving them i'm waking up you know getting messages like hey this person's traded this person probably wasn't going to stay and i don't have no like it's cool i ain't i ain't in the front office AKA D West, he went to Golden State. He already knew what it was with Indiana. That ain't my job, that's their job, but let me know, please. Like, mm-hmm. so all that was like strike ones and twos. And now when I hear my name in trade talks, that's strike three. Now I'm like, man. Especially after you tell me we good. Right. We just had a we just had a lunch about this. So fast forward to the to the moment where we do this game. I get interviewed, still saying I want to be here. This is my home. That night. And, and 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 mind you, I, I think I said uh, we had a, a top three player in the league at this time, power forward that was that I was trying to get to come to Indy. He wanted to come. I bring it to the front office. They ain't do. They deaded it. Did you ever say who that was? It was AD. Okay. AD. Ooh. Me and AD talked. Um, AD wanted to come to Indy, close to Chicago. He was like, man, it's perfect. Yeah. Y'all got something going over there. Mm-hmm. So imagine that. So yeah. right. So I bring that to the front office. They deaded it. We can't do it, small market, la da da da. I'm like, man. Now you gotta ask yourself, why would they dead that? A lot of teams would pray and wish on that. I mean, they had Paul George in his prime. 
and AD was definitely a monster player, still very, very young. Why would they dead that right away? Because like a lot of these NBA franchises, particularly in the smaller markets, they sell the fans on this idea of winning a championship. But most of them, most of these owners are using their teams as just pretty much as a cash flow. They just want to stay semi-competitive and they give you the illusion that they're trying to win games. But they're just not trying to be at the bottom tier of just teams in the league. At least if they stay around the middle pack, maybe get eliminated first or second round. That's considered pretty much a successful season to a lot of these owners. All right. So then that night, go back to after we did the baseball or yeah, the, the charity game that night, they called me up like, you know, I got, we got this player and we looking at that player. And these two players is, we not winning with these two guys that they named. So I called my agent like, man, what, what am I doing here? They don't want to win. Like mm -hmm. they, in my, it, and, and what I think, honestly, I don't want to bash the organization because it was wonderful people there. But in my opinion, I think it's an organization that just care to be competitive. Mm -hmm. They don't care to win. They got pressure from the, from the city of Indiana to be competitive. And that's where they, they, they hang their hat on. Uh, Paul. <laughs> Paul George exposing. He's, he's, not, he's not saying something that's his opinion. He's saying something that he's been told from other people around the league and there's a number of teams that play that same game and they try to sell their fan base on the idea of winning when they're not really about that miami's pretty much one of those franchises believe it or not the miami heat but thank goodness for them that they got pat riley and he's very slick and very clever in the way he moves and manages the monies and contracts and the way he scouts scout out players they're lucky and very fortunate but when was the last time Miami Heat ever went over the salary cap and spent money to win? So a lot of these franchises, they're not about that life. They just want to be a team that can compete. Mm. And their chance of winning is they're going to have to do it in the draft, building the team. That's going to take forever. So I call them. Now it's going to take forever. Most likely, you're not going to, it's not going to happen. When was the last time an NBA franchise drafted a whole team and end up going all the way to the championship? The 2004 Detroit Pistons, even they went out of their way to get at least a star or two, a semi-star in Rasheed Wallace. But when was the last time a team drafted their whole team and went on to win the NBA championship? It's very rare. Like, man, get me out of here. Like, they don't want to win. I'm wasting time here. I came off of surgery. Larry trying to get me to play the four, coming back. Like, it was just a bunch of stuff. Now, that right there is a red flag. The fact that Paul George had that crazy injury after the Olympics and Larry Bird was trying to get him to play the four in my opinion I'm thinking that they're trying to devalue Paul George's contract extension year to try to make him look like he's less valuable he's not the same guy why would you make a guy come off a leg injury like that and play the four position in which he's already considered a small guy for that position unless you're not trying to pay him and give him the San Antonio haircut on that next contract extension see a lot of these teams they have very very slick ways of trying to avoid to paying guys and larry bird is not his fault he only has enough basically leverage as much as the owner gives him so if the owner's not going to be willing to spend a certain amount of money he only has that little wiggle room to make something happen i just i threw the towel in and um man i just asked to get out of there and that's how that all all, all that kind of transpired
Now, Paul George actually reveals how Kawhi got him to come on the Clippers. Yeah. Oh, uh, man, the whole the whole way how it came about was just crazy, how everything lined up. Um, and I, I'm going to be careful because I don't want to, you know, OKC was awesome partners that mm -hmm. made the deal made happen. happen. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to, you know, right. throw anything out there that's going to put them in, you know, Sam Presti was just... That's my guy. One of the best Solid. GMs and, and you had him in San Antonio? partners yep. to work with. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, man, after that season, um, and Kawhi and him just won it, I text him, like, yo, congrats, bro. Like, you know what I mean? What a real one would do. Yeah, showing love. Like, because we talked about playing with each other a while back. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, congrats, bro. Like, you know, good shit. You did your thing. Like, you know letting them know, you know, that there's love on this end. Um, and I'm at dinner. And so he hit me. He called me now. He's like, oh, yo, look, good looking, bro. Good looks. So he like, what you going to do? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm in OKC. Like, what you mean? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm under contract. I just re-up. Like, what you mean? He's like, nah, what you going to do? So guess some stuff leaked. Some, 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 you know, stuff was getting out there that, you know, trades was possible and, and, you know, somebody was looking to get moved. A.K.A. going back to that Indiana situation, A.K.A. the Oklahoma City Thunder saw that they couldn't win because they had two straight years with first round exits and that ownership was not willing to spend that money. So they're thinking to themselves, how the hell can we get rid of these guys? Once again, Paul George, he went from one franchise that didn't like spending money to another one that was the same exact way, except they had more success in winning. And once they realize this is it, but we're about to spend a shitload of money against this cap, let's just get rid of these guys and get get some assets. Um, and so he like, you know, what you gonna do? So now my eyebrows go up. Like mm -hmm. I call my agent, like man, uh, Kawhi saying this and that. Like what, what what's what's going down? So my agent do his you know due diligence. He chopping it up with OKC. Come back to to actually that the stories I was being said was true. So I'm like, oh, okay. Well, he knew shit about you before you even Yeah, did. yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck. if he know, like... It's out there. I, it's time for me to go. Like, if this is what's going on. So that's basically, uh, like, to wrap it all up. You know, that's very interesting. Kawhi and his team already knew that OKC was already considered making different moves. Once again, a lot of these NBA franchises... They view themselves that, you know, as long as they remain competitive, it makes sense. But they're not going to just try to remain competitive at a very high, you know, output as far as paying out salary. The difference between OKC at this time remaining competitive and them just getting eliminated in the first round having Russ and MPG didn't make a lot of sense. So after two first round exits, the ownership figured out that, you know, we got to make different moves. We could pay out a lot less in salary. Especially with Melo's contract, you know, kind of lingering over their heads, that $30 million that he opted into, it kind of put OKC in, in a unfamiliar position because that's a small market franchise that was about to take a big bite into that luxury tax. It's kind of how it, how it happened. Mm -hmm. And I went to Vegas. Me and him was on the clock, on an hourly clock. Like, yo, what's, what's they saying on that side? They saying this on my side. Like, so we, we was just hip to hip with, with what was going on. Um, everybody my side, his side working together um, to where ultimately, man, 
stage. We was able to pull it off. We made it happen. Now, Paul George is also going to reveal how him signing the extension to stay with OKC prompted them to go after Melo. That was pretty much the deal that they made behind closed doors. Melo is a real one. And I got to spend time with Melo with Team USA. So that's where our relationship really, you know, our bond, you know, came. Uh, Melo was a real one. Like, what people don't understand, Melo sacrificed. Melo wasn't the issue. Mm -hmm. like, Melo, because what happened was me and Russ got traded there. And literally, Billy had, you know, all of this. There's no excuse. But Billy had a plan for me and Russ. Then literally, like, right at the last minute is when we got mellow. So now, like, Billy, like, like I don't know how to incorporate Incorporate y'all was my two guys. Like, mellow just going to have to find his way. Like, And so I give, I tip my hat for mellow. Mellow was 100 the whole time. He let me and Russ run the show. Um, his only thing was, did he really let you run the show? He seemed awfully bitchy about coming off the bench. Cool. It's their team. Like, I can be used more, though. Like, mm -hmm. don't just have Still. me be a spot-up player. Yeah, like, play Y'all can play through me sometimes, mm -hmm. too, which we understood. We agreed. Like, we could play through Melo a little bit more. That's That wasn't the plan that, you know, they wanted going forward. Um, so we just we really just missed out on the opportunity of, of us three being able to play together. Now, it being short-lived was not a bad thing at all because it wasn't going to work out. First of all, they had no reason to be getting eliminated by a rookie in Donovan Mitchell at the time and the Utah Jazz in the first round. That elimination was pretty much an embarrassment. And then the following season, another first round exit by the Portland Trailblazers, who the season before got swept by the Pelicans. Then the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, at that point, it was like, man, like, we didn't know what we was gonna get out of the team at that point. We wasn't connected. We wasn't around each other. We we kept we got a group chat that we was you know messaging, making sure everybody was staying on their stuff. But it just wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like I said, when we got into the bubble, our our energy like it, it we we wasn't practicing how we should have been practicing. We wasn't working like we should have been working. And finally, Paul George touched base on some of the mental aspects within the bubble, and in my opinion. They should really take a notch down with some of the mental issues that some of the players have on the team because that basketball court is a war zone and they're giving a lot of teams looking from the outside an edge over them to mentally know that, you know, certain circumstances, this team could be weak. But Paul George touched, touched base on some of the Clippers struggle within the bubble. What was crazy is we ended, before the pandemic hit, we Play. ended the season, like, playing, playing well. well. Playing we, was, well. We, was, we just got Reggie. Mm -hmm. We just got Marcus. Like, mm -hmm. we was coming together. We was figuring it, it out. Was scary. We was, we was learning how to play scary. with everybody now. Everybody was healthy. Pat was healthy now. Mm -hmm. uh, Kawhi was healthy. I was healthier. Uh, like, we had a complete team. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, at that point, it was like, man, like, we didn't know what we was gonna get out of the team at that point. We wasn't connected. We wasn't around each other. We we kept we got a group chat that we was you know messaging, making sure everybody was staying on their stuff. But it just wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like I said, when we got into the bubble, our our energy like it, it we we wasn't practicing how we should have been practicing. We wasn't working like we should have been mm -hmm. working. And um, you can feel it too. You can sometimes you can, feel you can just feel it. that shit. You can feel it. You can feel it. And our crutch was. 
we got this, we got that person, we got we got that paper. That paper looked good. The, the, it looked good on paper. The bench is solid. Like we we had that as a crutch, and that's at the end of the day, that's what we just kept leaning on, mm-hmm. leaning on. That's what we was putting a bandaid on everything mm-hmm. on. Um, and it, it just you know <clears throat> that it don't work out like that. And Jokic end up killing them, especially with that bench. Jokic end up destroying that bench. Montrez Harold couldn't guard him. Lou Williams was not the point guard that can initially set guys up. Because once again, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard was just going one-on-one the whole time. It is what it is. Okay, now looking at the reigning finals MVP, Mr. LeBron James, a.k.a. Mr. Control His Own Narrative. And LeBron James' legacy to a lot of NBA players is awakening to the business of their image and just their business overall on and off the court. Now, LeBron James, this current NBA championship was well-deserved. The team was well-prepared, especially they had a ton of new players for them to get their chemistry right. But LeBron James, once again, he kind of controls the narrative as he brings up the 2016 championship in which the Cleveland Cavaliers were the favorites to win that championship. And that was Golden State before they had Kevin Durant. Now, once again, LeBron James kind of spins the narrative and makes it seem like the Golden State Warriors was some unstoppable team. When in retrospect, when you add LeBron James to that Cleveland Cavaliers team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, just adding LeBron into that mix, definitely talent-wise, puts them way above the Golden State Warriors. Why were they down 3-1 to begin with is a very huge question mark. But let's listen into what LeBron James had to say about it. Just imagine. Oh, this, just imagine it's 16, RJ. We're going, we're down 3-1. Which one do you, there's nothing in here. If we're down 3-1 and, and 16, yeah. and no we're chance. not going back no. to Cleveland, no, what? And, and we're just playing yeah. another game We're just really playing another game in a, in a bubble. Golden they, State may beat us by 100. Yeah. Now, LeBron James saying Golden State would have possibly beat them had they had never had a home game by 100. LeBron James does not believe that. There's just no way in hell the Golden State Warriors would have even been dusting the Cleveland Cavaliers to begin with. They were the favorites once again. You can look at the Las Vegas odds. The Cleveland Cavaliers were the better team going in. No one was talking about this Golden State Warriors team the year before in 2015, etc. These guys came out of nowhere and they were not ranked anywhere even close to LeBron James's Cleveland Cavaliers. Once again, LeBron James adding that little spin and that little extraness to that Golden State Warriors team in 2016 is just him trying to say, hey, look, that team was so great, but yet I beat them. So he wants to add that on to like, you know, another mantle to his towards his legacy. It's really strange because at the end of the day, his team was way better than that Golden State Warriors team. They should have never been down 3-1 to begin with. Now in this LeBron James sit down, I thought it was very interesting that Richard Jefferson brought up a point that I believe behind the scenes, a lot of players and people who work within the NBA, you know, inner circles already know about the league, that the league is really all about a very few teams and the rest of the teams just sort of just linger around. But the interest is in a very small amount of teams and players. That's that's look, it is one of the harder positions to be in being not only like the leader of a team, the like the face of a league, you know, a vocal, a vocal leader as far as like, you know, I still stand by, was it Patrick Beverly? He's like, look, if Bron playing, we playing, right? Like I was joking, <laughs> I, I joke with, I joke with one of the guys uh, and, and I'll keep him nameless. I was like, guys, look, at the end of the day, the NBA wants everybody there. 
But they only need like five people there. <laughs> they need Bron, they need Giannis, they need James. They, you know what I'm saying? Like they'll figure it out the rest of the way as long as they can sell. You know, are they need the Lakers? They need the Celtics. There's like, it's like yeah, everybody can sit here and be like, oh well. It's like yo, at the end of the day, like the the league needs about ten guys and about five teams. Everything else is like a, a, a bonus from a standpoint of like what they're gonna advertise, what they're gonna do. So when Pat Beverly says like. Yo, look, if Braun say we playing, we all gonna show up. But <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, just look at the NBA marketing scheme. Look at the faces. Who's the guys in front of these advertisements? Exactly what Richard Jefferson says, it pretty much applies. You guys can check it out yourself anytime you're watching the games or just any type of programming in which they're advertising NBA games. It's the same set of guys being promoted. It's just a handful of teams. Now, LeBron James spoke on his legacy and some of the naysayers and you have to understand lebron's legacy right now or just his career in totality i don't want to say legacy because he's not retired yet but just his career it looks a lot different than the people who came before him but make no mistake about it just for a player to come into the nba today with this social media climate with the pressures and everything you do gets criticized just for them to achieve and do what LeBron James has already done, that in itself is a crazy-ass plight. Not even looking at Jordan's six rings or whatever, just to achieve what LeBron James has done is crazy. After all that I've accomplished still in this league, there's still a conversation of, of, of like, doubt. And I can hear, and I see it, and... Uh, <laughs> I see it on, my, on my, my feed every time I post something with this jackass across from me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just do it for uh, motivation. No, I, and I love it. And I love you too. Um, yeah. And, and um, just from people that really, that the basketball world, because people, it's people on TV and there's writers that write that people in the basketball world really listen to. Mm -hmm. And they really believe. And I'm not going to give any of those names on this show because they don't deserve it. You want me to? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll, I'll retweet it when you tweet okay, it. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> And best believe, LeBron James has his own guys. He definitely has his own guys within the media that cling on to him. No matter what he does, good or bad, a bunch of rider dies. He's the first player to actually show the other players to control their narratives, whether it's them starting their own podcast or their own media companies. Look how Kevin Durant sort of in the past year or two even collaborated with a lot of media members to reshape his image. Because him going against the media was not helping his image at all. Even though he's a great player, he clearly at a time was either the number one or number two player in the league. The media kind of drew the narrative that he was a step below everyone else. So a lot of these players, their eyes are kind of wide open looking at LeBron and how he's able to curate his own image. That continue to discredit or, or continue to not to understand what, you know, the drive that I put into it, you know, you know, they talk about these players or, well, he doesn't have that same drive as them, or he doesn't have that same mentality as those. If he did, yeah, like, and, and they see what I continue to accomplish. So, you know, it, it, it was a, it was, it was a, a reassurance to myself, but it was also like to the naysayers and to the haters, which will always be there, even after I'm done playing. I'm but always going to be right here. And, <laughs> and to Channing. Be right here. Yeah. You know, I, I hear it. I see it. And um, just like one of the words I've been using today, holding them accountable. Yeah. And I'm holding them accountable. Well, yeah, it is what it is. LeBron, like I said, he definitely 
He's not retired yet, so he doesn't have a legacy yet. But when he's retired, just for a player to come in the league and try to achieve what he's achieved is a crazy-ass plight within itself. It is what it is. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.